Well, good morning. How y'all doing? Uh, listen, my name's Adrian, but my wife's name is Lisa. She's five foot four, comes up about right here. She has blonde hair and blue eyes, and she is a righteous fox cha-ching. She's all that in a bucket of chicken, and I like me some chicken. I'll tell you this right now, my wife is the greatest woman ever, greatest woman ever. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you're a married man and you're not bragging about your wife, as far as we're concerned, you're half a man. Amen. Yeah, I'm glad only one guy. Okay, whatever. Listen, listen. I like Fruit Loops, so don't you have to be one of them. You understand what I'm saying? I just think men should brag about their wife. Steve Spurrier's wife came up to me and gave me a big hug and whispered in my ear, the Lord has dramatically changed my husband's life. He's bragging about me everywhere he goes, and now he's bragging about Jesus. I just want to train men to brag about their wives. You know what I'm saying? So let's practice real quick. I want all the married men to stand up. Take your time. Hurry up. Let's go. All the married men, stand up. Let's go. Take your time. Hurry up. So we're going to pray. Anybody engaged in the house? Raise, stand up and raise your hand if you're engaged. Stand up and raise your hand right here. Engaged guy, you remain standing. Anybody else engaged? I want to, I want to pick on you. I mean, I want to, I want to uh, good job. Okay. So it starts now. You ready? So when I say go, I'm going to give you 10 seconds to brag about your wives out loud. All at the same time. You know what I'm saying? Use your diaphragm. Don't go, she's a good cook. Don't do that. You're killing me, Smalls. Throw me a bone here, okay? So whoever's the loudest gets a special award. Fred Gile, a, a special award. So when I say go, you got 10 seconds. On your marks. I'm not very good at math. I wait for that thing to get to the right spot. Get set. Go. Five seconds. Three. Good job. Good job. Good job. All right. I don't know who won. I know this guy over here said his wife's prettier than my wife. I don't know about that, but I'm glad to hear him say that. So I say you and right here, Mr. Smith, I think he was on a chair standing up bragging. So you guys get the special award. You ready? Attaboys. <laughs> no, seriously, stop by my table on the right. You get a free CD or whatever you want on my, on my table. <laughs> Welcome to Moe's. Okay, good. Open your Bibles, if you will. Open your Bibles to the book of Habakkuk. I've always wanted to say that. Open your Bibles to the book of Habakkuk. I actually mean it, Pastor. Have you ever said that before? Open to the book of Habakkuk. It's in between Nahum and Zephaniah. Come on, Bible scholars. That's funny. No one knows where it's at. Look in the front of your Bible and figure out where it's at. It's on page 1727. See, now finally someone's getting this. Only, only smart people get my jokes. Habakkuk is a, a, a very interesting book. I've had a very interesting last two years of my life. The last two years have been... Uh, Chock full of a lot of different things, uh, different difficult things. Um, two years ago, I would like to say I was saving some kids from a cliff, and a lion came in there, and I smashed the lion, and I tore up my knee. I would like to say it was from saving some kids from a cliff, but that's not what happened. I was playing dodgeball. Listen, if you could dodge a brick, you should be able to dodge a ball. I was playing dodgeball, and I tore up my knee, tore my quad tendon all the way off my patella, broke my patella. It's a two-year rehab. They fastened it through the bone. It was, it's a, I just now started to run again. Bless my heart. I've lost sports for the last couple of years. Uh, uh, I don't consider golf a sport, so it doesn't really count. So I'm just saying, uh, uh, I, I tore up my knee. Then right after that, I found out I've got diabetes. Anybody else have diabetes in here, diabetes? Isn't it the worst? 
can't have chocolate cream pie. Listen, if you put chocolate cream pie on top of my head, my tongue would slap my brains out trying to get to it, and I would die, and you go to prison. So lost that. And then right after that, my father, sitting right over here, my dad called me on the phone. He was broken, and it broke me quickly when I found out my brother, who's just a couple years older than me, passed away suddenly of a heart attack. He had lost 60 pounds and uh, or, you know, lost a lot of weight and was on a workout machine and got up, walked off and died of a heart attack. His, his, one of his daughters was there and it was devastating. I mean, it was devastating. Devastated my soul. I cried so hard that my leg was involuntarily shaking uh, for several hours. I just wept and wept and wept. I, I, boy, I got that emotion coming back again now. I just wept. It broke me. It broke me. A month, all these things happen within months of each other. A month after that, uh, one of my best friends in the world, Chuck Peters, who I painted houses with for several years, 15 years, and, and we were best friends. He's a pastor in Augusta, Georgia. He died of cancer. Crushed my heart. A month after that, my mentor for the past 30 years, Robertson McQuilkin, passed away. Crushed my soul. Uh, uh, a, about a month after that, I found out my mom had stage 4 lung cancer. And my mom was one of my closest friends on the planet. Uh, she used to do something that was disgusting. I, I know my generation is the first generation to die with her own teeth. She used to take her teeth out and chase me around the house. <laughs> it was the most, come out, bro. It just scared me. People wonder why I got so fast in football, played college football. And one of the reasons why I had so many sacks was because I could get to the edge real quick. I ran a 4 6 40. I could really, I could really run. The reason why is because my mom would chase me through the house and I had to get away from her. She's gone. It was the worst thing ever. She called me her little brubby. She was, uh, 30 days before she passed away, she prayed with me to receive Christ and it changed my soul. She begged me to tell people about Jesus. We had a great long conversation. It was really. This message, actually, this is a new message for those of you who know me. I'm an evangelist, and for an evangelist to have a new message, that's like Congress changing their mind, just ain't going to happen. You understand what I'm saying? So, I mean, this is, a, this is a weird thing for me. This is a pretty new message for me, and it came out of all this pain that I've been going through. And it crushed my heart when my mom passed away. She actually asked me in her last days if I would go speak at a conference. I was, I was scheduled to speak at a conference, and I wanted to be there with my mom. But she said, no, no, you need to go tell them about Jesus. And I found out when I was at that conference that she passed away, and I cried my eyes out then again. It really hurt hard. Uh, a month after that, a dog, a, a big dog, that every time I came home, he'd meet me at the door. Hey, how you doing? How you doing? You're the greatest. You're the greatest. He'd sit down whenever I'd stop, and he'd say, I love you. And it's not like I needed that, but, <laughs> I mean, who's your daddy? I mean, this, do this dog, we, we, we put him down, and it crushed me. We put Max down. And I didn't know if I'd cry that hard, but I cried for two or three days. Anybody else lose a, put down an animal before? Is that not the worst ever? That's the worst ever. And then we had this dog. Like, I want a dog you got to stand up wind from. You know what I'm saying, guys? I mean, I, I don't want a little dog you can punt. I mean, I want a dog you can stand up wind from. But we had this little dog, this little rat dog, and somehow she got up on the bed every night, and she would lay right here on my shoulder. And every time I would move, roll over, she'd start licking my face every day, every night. And I, I didn't know I would cry so hard, but I cried my eyes out the next month when we would put her down. Uh, then my mom, uh, a few months after that, passed away, and it, it crushed me. I um, uh, did the funeral. That was really, really hard. Uh, a couple months ago, my, another one of my best friend's son, who was 29 years old, he, he died of cancer. I did his funeral. And then about four or five days ago, I had a freak little accident and cracked a rib. 
I mean, I'm right now I'm in pain. Right now my rib is feeling like someone's stabbing me with a knife because when you preach, you got to use your diaphragm. You got so every time I <laughs> when I when I laugh, it hurts so bad. <laughs> Stop laughing, then. I can't help it. I mean, I I am in pain right now just standing here talking to you. I don't. I didn't, it was the first service was okay, past, but now I don't know what happened. I think it was Scott Creed walked up and whacked me in the back, and I said, okay, Scott, you're going to be a little bit upset when I tell people you hit my broken rib. <laughs> Just kidding. He's an awesome, holy man. So, uh, I, I, and I, by the way, I'm very, very honored to be here. Your pastors in this place are off the chain. You have some of the godliest men I've ever met in my life running your church here. And I'll say, great, 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 great job. But I need to tell you something about these past two years. The reason why I wrote this message is because these past two years have been the greatest years of my life I've ever had, spiritually speaking. Spiritually. Yeah, I, you need to understand what that, that kind of comment coming out of me. I have preached the gospel consistently for 30 straight years. I've been on staff with this ministry for 30 years as an evangelist. I've been in 48 states and 32 countries. If anybody needs me to minister in Hawaii, I will, I will suffer for Jesus in Hawaii for the Lord God Almighty Sunday School Bible study. So I'm just saying, I, I, I have been preaching the gospel for many years, but these past two years have been the greatest years I have been in a physical, spiritual revival these past two years. Now how is it possible when I've lost everything? E even if the whole world falls on top of me, how can you rejoice in that? How is it possible that you can have revival in your soul? This whole message is about that. Let me just find out if I'm preaching the right crowd. Have any of you been through any kind of struggle at all, struggle, adversity, uh, problems, issues, big time issues in the past two years? Raise your hand if that's been you. I knew it. Most of you have. How do you rejoice? Well, Habakkuk actually has the answer. Habakkuk was written. It's really interesting. Habakkuk was written uh, 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 because the northern kingdom, I mean the southern kingdom where he lived, was about to be destroyed by the Babylonian Empire, and he was complaining to God. Imagine someone complaining to God. He was complaining to God saying, why would you use evil people to take, to take us out? I know we've sinned, but they're worse than us. And that's, that's the whole reason why the book of Habakkuk was written. God rebukes him hard, just sets him straight. And then the last three verses, verse 17 of chapter 3, the last three verses of Habakkuk, Habakkuk gets it right. This is the reason why I've had a revival. I want to read these verses to you. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. Now listen, this is an agricultural society. If they lose their crops, they lose, they are devastated. How many of you are here when uh, Hugo hit? You remember when Hugo hit? What were we, 10 days without power? I was living in Columbia at that point for one week. I thought, you guys have the weirdest weather I've ever seen ever. I mean, I looked outside, the trees are going. I mean, if you take away the power, I mean, it devastated our city, devastated our state, billions of dollars. This is the same thing here. Though everything should, though we have no crop at all, and the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stall, so no meat, no potatoes. Verse 18 is the key. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Seriously, Habakkuk, 
I will take joy in the God of my salvation. I'll remember my salvation. He's the God of my salvation. I'm going to take joy in it. Verse 19, God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. Now, that's an interesting phrase there. What does it mean, he makes my feet like the deer's? How can I have, how can I have hind feet on high places? Go ahead and put that picture up for me. I want to show you a picture of something very, very interesting to me. This is a, a, a goat on a mountain. A goat on a mountain. It's, it, look at that. Let me just ask you a serious question. Do those two guys right there look, look nervous to you at all? I want to show you what I think they're probably doing now, moving-wise, they're doing this. And I'd like to see who took the picture, I don't know. But it's just a couple inches wide of a cliff there. These goats are sitting on the edge of this cliff and it's a, go to the next picture. Look at this next picture. Look at that! What, what, what in the world? Do they? He's not nervous at all. He's on the edge of a cliff. There, my buddy had a a, a, a video of a, from his phone of a of a goat on the side of a forty five degree ledge like this, and there was a lot of loose gravel there. So there's a fence sit out there that no one could get to it because on the other side of that gravel was a five thousand foot drop, and this goat was sitting there staring at the people, and he was videoing it, and the goat was just sitting there going on loose gravel, five thousand foot drop, two feet away from it. Then the goat, without any kind of warning, jumps off the 5,000-foot drop. And the whole place goes, ah! And everyone screams and the phone shakes. And he reaches out to, over the fence and reaches out to see if he can see what happened to the, to the goat. And that was grum, grum. Okay, so, uh, so he reaches out and he sees the goat six feet down on a one-inch ledge, reaching up to grab a leaf. Then the goat, a few seconds later, jumps back up on the 45-degree on the angle, loose gravel, and just sits there chewing on a leaf. Not nervous at all. That's what this passage says. God will give you hind feet on high places. When everything's going wrong, when everything, even if the whole world falls on top of you, when everything's going bad, God has you completely secure in it. That's what Habakkuk figured out. Even if, say even if for me. A little louder. Say even if for me. Even if the, everything goes wrong, yet will I rejoice in God. How is that possible? I remember I was at chapel one time in, in seminary down the road here at Columbia International University. I was sitting right down here, and this lady uh, walked up to, sta to the stage. And I, listen, this, this was, it was a sin on my part. I've confessed it already, so you're not allowed to judge me. This is a sermon illustration. I'm telling you this right now. I've changed my mind about it, okay? So I've changed, but I've got to tell you the sin part, so don't judge me. She was 8,500 years old. This, this, this is the bad part. This is bad. She couldn't keep her head still. And she made that noise. You know that? No, 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 I'm sorry. I'm sorry. She stood up there, and I sat over here, and I put my legs out in front of me. This is the sin part. And I thought, this one might be a sleeper. You know how you can be asleep with your eyes open? And I thought, this one might be a sleeper. And then Helen Roosevelt was the name. She said, do you know my Jesus? He's the altogether lovely one. She looked up into the sky like she was looking at him. Do you know him? <laughs> He's so lovely. Look at him. Do you know him? She asked that question for 30 straight minutes. At the end of the service, I was weeping, trembling, going, oh, God, if I could only know you like she knows you. So I did my research on her. When she was in her, in her early teens, in, in, in the early 1900s, when she, she figured, I'll tell you, she really went, 
she figured out every time she was she was going to go to the mission field as a as a as a missionary going to Africa. And every time she came across a roadblock, she would always ask the question, is it worth it? And she would always answer, yes, it's worth it. Every time, every roadblock, like, should I be a single woman on the field because no man's going to marry me because the life expectancy in Africa is two years. They pack their clothes in coffins so they have something to be buried in over there. So she said, no man's going to marry me to go over there, so should I be a single woman? She said, yes, it's worth it. Every time she had a problem, she said, is it worth it? Yes, it's worth it. Uh, being, being, uh, going to medical school and paying for nursing so she can be a nurse on the field, yes, it's worth it. Every problem, uh, 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 every problem. She went over to Africa and ministered in a, in a nation called the Belgian Congo. Its name has changed several times. It was Zaire one time, then Congo, then, then now it's the Democratic Republic of Congo, I think. And, and uh, she was there ministering and sp spent 10 years of her life in there, and the entire tribe was evangelized. Great work of God. She wrote down in a journal what she had done. It was like the big, big, thick book. And she wrote it all down there and it had it all set up there. But at, after 10 years, there was a coup in that country and they wanted to change their name again. So they came into her tribe and started raping the women in her tribe. It was horrible. And Helen ran out there and said, don't take them, take me. Have you ever had a white woman before? So they chained her to a true, true story. Stripped her of her clothing, stripped her of her dignity, and raped her twice right in front of the whole tribe. And Helen Roosevelt, they brought the manuscript that she'd been writing on for the last 10 years and put it down in front of her and burned it right there in front of her. Burned it. She lost everything. So she looked up to heaven and asked the question again, is it worth it? And she said at this point here, the Lord Jesus Christ rebuked her. Seriously? She said he rebuked her. Helen, you've been asking the wrong question your entire life. The question is not, is it worth it, but rather, am I worthy of it? And Helen Roosevelt said she looked up to heaven and began to sing worship songs to God saying, I don't care what they do to my body, Lord, you're worthy of it. Same thing happened in Acts chapter 5 when the disciples are beaten to the point of death and they left the Sanhedrin. It says they were rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Because they said, it doesn't matter what happens to us. It doesn't matter what happens to my body. It doesn't ha matter what happens to my knee. It doesn't matter all the stuff that came on top of me, all this piled up on top of me. All, that's, all that matters is that Jesus Christ is worthy of it. Everything. And so I'm going to learn in my soul how to worship God. How to worship God. No matter, even if the whole world comes against me, I'm going to rejoice in him. And how many of you guys have seen uh, uh, VeggieTales growing up? VeggieTales. Anybody seen any VeggieTales before? Raise your hands. VeggieTales. Awesome. Based on a true story. My favorite was Rack Shack and Benny. Called the bunny. The bunny. The bunny. Oh, I love the bunny. I don't love my vegetables. I'm just kidding. But I'm just saying. <laughs> That's a great... My wife didn't like that one, but I like that one. So, uh, 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 Rack Shack and Betty's a famous story. They have a veggie tale about it because of these three guys. If you got your Bible, turn back to uh, Daniel. Turn to the left. You're going to go to Daniel chapter 3 real quick. Daniel chapter 3 real quick. Uh, uh, the stories about uh, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're not going to bow down and worship a fire, uh, an image of Nebuchadnezzar, so they're going to be thrown into the fire furnace. You know the story. You've heard it since you were knee high to a grasshopper. They're about to be thrown into the fiery furnace. And King Nebuchadnezzar gives them one more chance, and, and he says to them, if you do not worship, you shall be immediately cast in the burning, burning, the burning fire furnace, and what God will be able to save you after that? And I have written in my Bible here, I know one. But then we have what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, verse 16. Chapter 3 of Daniel, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no, no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he doesn't, even if we burn to a crisp, even if we are 
destroyed in our lives and suffer great anguish, pain, and suffering. Even if, O king, let it be known that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Even if the whole world comes against me, I am still going to worship God. I will not worship some other god. That's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said. They got it. They figured out what, what Paul called a secret in, in Philippians chapter 4, verses 11, 12, and 13. Paul said, I've learned the secret of being content no matter what my circumstances. Well-fed or hungry, and well-fed means when you've got a lot of food, or hungry, having very little to no food. Living in plenty, a lot of money, or want being poor. Paul says, I've learned in those different circumstances that no matter what I'm going through, I've learned the secret of being content. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me is the next verse. In other words, it means no matter what I'm going through, I can rejoice in God. I can be content. That's what he said. My question to you this morning is how in the world do you get there? How do you get there? That when the whole world falls on top of you, lost my brother, lost my mom, lost two dogs, lost my best friends. How do you, what happens then? How do you rejoice in that? I have had the two greatest years of my life. How is that possible? Number one, there's two things that have to happen. Number one, you have to be saved. Now why would I ask that question at a, at a church on Sunday morning? Because my greatest burden on my soul, on my heart, my number one burden is the salvation of people's souls in church. I am an evangelist like he, when he was introducing me, he said I'm an evangelist. I am an evangelist to the church. It's a weird calling. I, I don't know, I don't know. Do you know anyone else like, I don't know anyone else who has that same type of calling. Who's an evangelist to the church. That's my calling. Why would I say that? Because my number one burden is, is there are a lot of people who go to church today who do not truly know Jesus personally. And it's a very, very, very dangerous thing. How do you know you're saved? You know you're saved by your fruit, by your actions. 88% of people who go to church today don't tithe. 88% don't tithe. And when they studied the recent Barna poll, the 12% who said they do tithe, only 3% of those actually tithe. And you know what I call a tithing Christian? A sissy Christian. Because the Bible says to tithe and offer. It's not just tithing. You don't need to know how much my wife and I give, but we give a lot more than 10%. I'm just saying this right now. I can tell what you think about Jesus by what you do with your money. It's not hard to figure out. And, and listen, we didn't talk about this before, did we? Did we talk about it? You're probably a tithing church. I don't know. I don't know. But 88% of people go to church and they don't tithe. 95% have never led another person to Christ. 97% do not consistently share the gospel with people. 97% don't talk about Jesus consistently to anybody else. 95% have never led another. Where's the fruit? You know you're a Christian by your fruit. So is it possible that someone could be saved because they go to church? Church attendance is not anywhere in the Bible as an evidence that you're saved. Now the Bible says not to forsake the gathering together of the believers in, uh, in Hebrews chapter 10. Don't forsake it. It's important for you to go to church. Very important. But it's not an evidence that you're saved. You know how you know you're saved? When you leave the church and what you do after that. That's how you know you're saved. I mean, I remember when I was at Furman, I walked up to a girl and said, are you sure you're saved? She started getting mad at me and screaming at me. And I, I had just gotten saved, so I didn't know I wasn't supposed to do that. She started screaming, how dare you? I've, been, I've raised in church all my life. I went, uh, I'm sorry, ma'am. And I thought to myself, why would she get mad at me when I asked her if she's saved? You know why? Because in the convention, 
In the Southern Baptist Convention, we have a love affair with salvation. Very, very important. Once saved, always saved. I believe in once saved, always saved. I know it's true. I can prove it to you biblically. I understand the concept of it. But it's one of the most dangerous concepts in all of Scripture because people are using that as their ticket to heaven. Without any evidence that they've been saved. Otherwise, they say, well, I prayed to receive Christ back and got baptized back when I was. I remember I led a guy to Christ. He was for 62 years, he said, 62 years ago I got baptized. And I'd known this guy for many, many, many years at this point, And I had seen no evidence whatsoever that he was saved. None. And I led him to Christ the day before he passed away. And I'll never forget how he said, you know, I may not be saved. I said, I, I agree, probably not. Being baptized it, it saves you like walking into McDonald's turns you into a Big Mac. Just not going to happen. People don't start eating you when you walk into McDonald's, do they? So here's my, 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 my number one issue, my number one problem is are you saved? Are you sure you're saved? Now why, have you ever heard the joke how many Southern Baptists it takes to change a light bulb? Change? We ain't going to change a light bulb. My granddaddy put that light bulb in there. It doesn't work. We ain't going to change it. That actually hurt my rib because I laughed a little bit there. Stop making me laugh. I'm just saying there's, 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 a lot of people believe that they're saved because, they, because of church attendance. It's the number one evidence today. I, it doesn't matter to me about church attendance. What matters to me is what you do when you leave the church. This place is a place for training so you can have an impact on people when you leave here. That's the answer to the school shooting. The school shootings is revival in the soul of a man or a woman. That's the answer. That's how we deal with this. Are you sure you're saved? What would be wrong with you saying, I'm not 100% sure I'm really saved? Even though you're a Southern Baptist. I mean, it's like walking. You know what I would do if I was in India? I'd walk up to a cow and slap it. Waka. I'd slap the sacred cow. And that's what I just did this morning, didn't I? I slapped the sacred cow of salvation. Are you sure you're saved? It's, why wouldn't I ask that question? I care more about where you spend eternity than pricking your pride for a few measly seconds on this planet. Make sure you're giving your life to Christ. You could tell you're saved by two main things. You know you're saved by your fruit. Well, where's the fruit? 88% don't tithe, 97% do not share the gospel consistently. Where's the fruit? Do you love your neighbor? Do you take care of Where's the fruit? Well, I heard one deacon say to another deacon, you just need to know the difference between uh, spiritual things and business things after he embezzled 80,000 people, $80,000 from his, from his account. Embezzled 80,000. You need to know the difference between spiritual things and business things. Where's the fruit? I was at a church one time, a 10,000-member church in, in Kansas City, and this guy stands up and says, you, you've, you've nailed where I'm at. I said, where are you at? He said, I'm not saved. I've grown up in church all my life, and I've never truly given myself to Christ. And now I know that now after what you just said. The chairman of the deacon of a 10,000-member church, 45 minutes later, Pastor, 45 minutes later, almost every deacon in the church was on their faces weeping. I don't know what happened there. There were, a lot, there were thousands who gave their lives to Christ that night. Why would you give yourself to Jesus? I mean, is it that, is it, listen, I'm on my knees. I will beg you, please consider. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, test the spirit to see if you're in the faith. Do you not know that Christ is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. What kind of person, what kind of Houdini, David, Blaine, Copperfield, what kind of person, what kind of magician could hide Christ in you, the hope of glory, from coming out? If you're saved, your faith should know it. You should be smiling. You would be smiling by me. You'd be going, he's asking the question. So what would be wrong with you saying this morning, you know what, I'm not 100% sure I've really given myself to Christ. We don't really have that in our commitment cards, do we? 
it's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's a system we're, I'm working against here. It's a system. We have first-time decisions. Then we have rededication. We don't have the in-between slot that says, I'm not 100% sure if I've ever truly given myself to Christ, so I want to nail it down now. We don't have that slot. But you know what? That's the number one issue, I think, in the Southern Baptist Convention today. The number one issue is making sure that you're born again. Are you sure you're saved? What would be wrong with you saying, you know what? I'm not 100% sure. I don't want to know. You know what I'm, fr- you know what I'm, I'm sick of? I'm, it drives me crazy. Sissy Christians drive me crazy. I want to punch you right in the face lovingly. I wouldn't do it to the women, just the men. The Bible says, the Bible says to be slow to lay hands on. I'll do it slow. You understand what I'm saying? Are you sure you're saved? Please, 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 please make sure you're born again. Make sure, like when Jesus walked up to, to Nicodemus and said, you have to be born again. And the next question is, am I supposed to, how can I be born when I'm old? Great question. That, that's probably going through your mind right now. Just the same question Nicodemus had. A religious leader, he had the same question you're having. Jesus made it clear to him, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so, so the Son of Man is going to be lifted up. I'm going to die, so I'm going to be the answer to your salvation. Give everything you are as if you've been bitten by a snake, and that's the only way you can get healed. Give everything you are to Christ. Everything you are, don't hold anything back. There are men and women all, I remember this one woman stands up in the middle of a service. At, actually, at the end of the service, I was given an invitation. Everyone in the whole place knew her as a giant camp up in Michigan. This woman was the wife of the pastor of the largest church in that denomination. The largest church. She came walking on the front, everyone goes, ooh, during the invitation. She was the first one to move. Nobody moved because nobody wanted to confess that they needed to get Je- have Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. She walked all the way up on stage, and I thought, uh-oh, I normally don't give the mic to anybody, ever, except, you know, except for who, who owns it. She walks up on stage, do you mind if I speak? I said, uh, uh yeah, go ahead. She said, I'm the pastor's wife, everyone knows who I am, everyone goes, I, I, I've been faking my entire life, I've never truly given myself to Christ. We had revival that morning. It broke out. I saw a pastor come down to the front during, this is an old, old, long time ago, Petra was doing the music about television thing. Uh, came down to the front, he said, I, I, I'm a third generation pastor, my, I'm, fa- I'm faking, I've never given myself to Christ. He got on his face and wept and wept and wept and gave himself to Christ. His church tripled in size, southern Atlanta. Let me just say this right now, ladies and gentlemen, are you sure you're saved? Please make sure you're saved, because when all Hades breaks loose, that's going to be what's going to take care of you. The God of my salvation. That's the key. The second thing that has to happen, the second thing that has to happen is uh, 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 Jesus must be more important to you than air. You must love Jesus more than you love anything else on this entire planet. You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all of your mind. You must love, 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 love Jesus. Greater than any other love on the planet. I'm a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. Most people have a line. I'll go this far for Jesus and I'm not going to go any further. You know, the seniors, the graduates, you know, the graduates in the room, you know, you know I've got, I'll go this far for God in college. Listen. This guy who wrote this, an African pastor there who got burned alive in his home when they found it in his Bible, this guy who wrote this, he said, I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. 
My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I am finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, mundane talking, cheap living, and dwarf goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, positions, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith, lean on his presence, walk by patience, lift by prayer, labor by power. My face is set, my gait is fast, my goal heaven, my way rough, my companion few, my guide reliable, my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice. Hesitate in the presence of the adversary. Negotiate at the table of the enemy. Ponder to pull of popularity or meander in a maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up. Until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. What in the world else would I do? I must go till he comes. Preach till all no work till he stops me. And when he comes for his own, bam! I want to hear him say, that's my boy. Or that's my girl. It's called my commitment as a Christian. We found it written in his Bible after we got his remains out of the house. Isn't that interesting? We, we need, it is the only way. Ladies and gentlemen, you need to be born again. The Bible says to test the spirit. Are you sure you're saved? It also says many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not uh, uh, prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and do many miracles? Jesus turned them and said, depart from me. I never knew you. Even though they could do miracles, they never had a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus. If you're not sure about that, then give your life to Christ. And right after that, let's get baptized. Why wouldn't we? Why, 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 why wouldn't we? Are we afraid of what other people think? Who cares what other people think? Compared to glory? <laughs> Who's your daddy? That's what I want to know. If it's God the Father, then... <laughs> Welcome to Moe's. Okay, so my point here is that this right here, we need to, listen, how many sports, you just tell me real quickly, how many sports can you score on on defense? Quick, go. I'm sorry, I'm not familiar with that language. It's not like you said. Is that Yiddish? What sports can you score on on defense? Quickly, go. Football, How? Interception become offense as soon as you touch the ball. You become offense. But football is the right answer. Safety, two points, very rare. In the 17 years I was a chaplain for South Carolina's football team as a little side gig, uh, uh, I saw nine safeties in 17 years. Not that big of a deal. And then soft, and then volleyball side out to the point for the team. So volleyball and football, the only two sports you can score on defense. And yet when we go through suffering, when we go through adversity, most of the time what we do is we play defense. We hunker down. We, we set up our forces around us. I've got an idea this morning. Instead of playing defense when we go through these tragedies and these stuff like that, let's play a little offense. I was at Trevinia's and this lady came up to me. She was a horrible, she was a horrible waitress. A horrible one. So I thought, she needs Jesus. <laughs> it has to be that. I dedicated to my mom the next two years. I'm going to share the gospel with every waitress who waited on us. Every, everyone. The next two years. So I, 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 uh, I uh, started sharing Jesus with her. She starts to cry. She goes back to the back and writes me a letter. I was about to commit suicide today. I came here as the last thing I was going to do. And I'm leaving here saved. Take your fist and punch Satan. Bam! Right in his face. And you watch what happens then. 
I mean, I'm tired of Christians being sissies. It's time for us to man up or woe man up. You smelling me? I don't know what it means. I'm trying to be millennial. There's some in here. I'm trying to, I have no idea what it means. A bunch of millennials walking around here like you rent a place. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, let's bring this home. There's a guy named Horatio Spafford. Some of you have probably heard of him, especially the music people. Great choir, by the way. Y'all have the greatest music. Do you, do you hear these music people singing? Man, I got saved like three times. Okay, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, Horatio Spafford, he had four daughters and a son, and his, his uh, two-year-old son died suddenly, and it crushed him of a, of a disease in the late 1800s. And he... Uh, uh, soon after, they had the Chicago, the great Chicago fire, and he lost all of his homes along. He had several different homes. He was a very wealthy lawyer in Chicago. Lost all of his homes along the water. None of them were insured. They didn't have that type of insurance back then. And so he lost all of his money. He was uh, devastated. His family went poor. They were, they were impoverished, completely impoverished. D.L. Moody was a friend of his, a great preacher in the 1800s. And D.L. Moody wired him and said, come on over to England Help me out with this revival. That way you can have a little vacation, a little break. Uh, he was, Horatio was working in New York City to try to get some of his financial stuff back in place. And he told his wife and four daughters, the oldest daughter is Ariana. I know that name because it's so close to Adrian. That's why I know that name in my mind. They got on the Havre de Ville, his wife and four daughters, to go across the ocean to meet D.L. Moody in England. On the way over there, a cargo ship accidentally clipped that Havre de Ville, and it sank, and all four of the daughters drowned. The wife survived. She writes, she wires back and says, saved only. Horatio got in the next boat to go across the ocean, asked the captain to wake him when they got to the spot where his daughters went down. And he's looking over the stern of the boat, and he wrote this famous hymn, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trial should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound. The Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. Now, I don't, I don't sing well says everyone who's heard me. Uh, but I've heard this song on the highway on I-20, and it only happened to me twice in my life, and I pulled over the side of the road and sobbed and sobbed and sobbed and sobbed, right, right when I was in the middle of all this stuff that was going on. Because this song, wow, kind of summarizes the whole thing. So I'm going to sing it for you, even though I don't sing well, so don't. It will crush me if you laugh at me. My soul will be crushed. And I'll figure out how to rejoice in it. But go ahead and put that song on for me. I'm going to sing along with the guy in Mercy Me. Here's the words. 
They say sometimes you win some, sometimes you lose some. And right now, right now I'm losing that. Stood on this stage tonight after night, reminding the broken it'll be alright. Right now. It's easy to preach when there's nothing that brings me down. But what will I say when I'm held to the flame like I am right now? I know you're able and I know you can. Stay through the fire with your mighty hand, but
Let's pray. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would grab our hearts this morning. Set us free from our bondages to sin and death. Grant us repentance so that we would come to a knowledge of the truth and escape from the trap of the enemy who has taken us captive to do his will. I know, Papa, the only way possible revival can happen here is if you do it. I know the preacher is not that good, but you're amazing. So I pray, Papa, that you would pour out your spirit here. Save every person in the room who's not saved. Even those who have been in church all their lives, and there's a click in their spirit right now that says, that's right. I've never truly given myself to Christ. Lord, I pray that there would be revival here. And that men and women would love you more than they've ever loved you. And they would re-surrender themselves to the first love. Oh, Papa, please.